Welcome to Conservation Conversations, the podcast where we discuss emerging technologies, global trends, and the future of biodiversity conservation with some of the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Sean O'Brien, President and CEO of NatureServe, where we've been working for 50 years to protect endangered species and ecosystems. NatureServe is a global leader in the use of science, data, and technology for conserving biodiversity and preventing extinction. With this podcast, we want to introduce our audience to some of today's key players in conservation and share the amazing work being done around the globe to protect our planet's rich biodiversity. Hi, I'm Sean O'Brien, the president and CEO of NatureServe, and we're here for this episode of Conservation Conversations with Dr. Don Wright, who's the chief scientist at ESRI. Um, You may not have heard of ESRI as a household name, but they are in front of you all of the time because when you're looking at maps, you're looking at the work that ESRI does. They are the leaders in geographic information systems on this whole planet. Um, And really that's what geographic information systems are all about is this planet and I guess potentially other planets. Is that right, Don? That is absolutely right, Sean. In fact, I really appreciate how you described us uh, as a company. That's a really nice way uh, to, to frame it. Great. So tell me, um, how, how did you come to be the chief scientist at ESRI? I know you have a really interesting background, not just the background in the video here, but your uh, intellectual and educational background is quite interesting. Oh, thank you. Yes, I came to ESRI uh, at a very important time in my professional career. I was at Oregon State University as a professor, and I was a GIS professor, so I was teaching a lot of courses at the beginning and intermediate and advanced level about GIS and geographic information science, the science behind GIS. And of course I was using ESRI technology. So I was an ESRI user, an ESRI customer, if you will, for about 20 years. And I'm also an oceanographer. I was trained as a geologist and then went into geological oceanography I actually, and this is a a real tidbit, I actually did not even know what GIS was until I got to my doctoral studies at UCSB. So my background is very flipped from how people get into GIS today where they are, uh, some people are learning about GIS, especially through GIS day. They're learning about it in kindergarten or uh, in primary school or in high school. By the time they get to college, they are spatial uh, analyst pros and uh, the the sky's the limit. But in my work as an oceanographer, especially as someone who was mapping the ocean floor and trying to understand uh, the tectonics of uh, interactions of um, lavas and hydrothermal vents and faults and fissures and using GIS to integrate that data, I noticed some Uh, weaknesses in GIS and particularly in ESRI software. So I, along with several other scientists, just wrote letters to ESRI over the years. I was involved in the um, marine or the what is now the ocean special interest group and asking for 3D capability, asking for this, connecting with people at ESRI about that. And uh, finally, I got this letter from from Jack and from Scott Morehouse, who was the chief software architect of Esri at the time. Just for people, Jack Dangerman, who's the uh, founder of Esri with his wife, Laura. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Sean. I got uh, a letter from, from Jack Dangerman and from Scott Morehouse about considering the role of a chief scientist for their company. And at that time, I was on sabbatical at Oregon State, or I was about to start a sabbatical at Oregon State. And so uh, the timing of it was, was very good. So I, I agreed to take on this role as chief scientist uh, for them, thinking that I would do this for two years and then go back to uh, Oregon State after this special sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jack Dangerman is a very uh, persuasive and very wonderful individual, as is his company. So Indeed. as soon as I, <laughs> as soon as I moved down here to Redlands, California, where the headquarters are, uh, and started working with him on various science initiatives, including making sure that we have better capability in our software for ocean scientists, but also for ecologists and hydrologists, conservation biologists, uh, land geologists and geophysicists, agricultural scientists, weather and climate science is involved here. All of that uh, became so fascinating and so all-encompassing that I switched my uh, status at Oregon State, and I've been here uh, full-time uh, at Esri since 2011, doing this work as chief scientist. That's fantastic. I love stories about people um, who are way, way smarter than I am, obviously, because they get letters from people like Jack Dangerman saying, hey, come be my chief scientist, and it wasn't even something that you were thinking of, and then it turns into an incredibly important and influential role. Um, the work that you've done you know, making Esri software more powerful and more useful for the ecological sciences and marine sciences and everything writ large is just fantastic. So, I well, just as, as, a joke, um, <laughs> as a joke, Jack and I uh, joke about that because he, because I said, you know, I didn't even think that you got my letters, Jack, uh, and that you were even listening to me. He said, yes, I was listening to you. I wanted to shut you up. So I thought, just hire her and get her in here so we can fix these things and move move forward. <laughs> that sounds like Jack, all right, um, yeah. which is fantastic. And you, in earlier in your career, and I guess um, you got to do one of the things that I consider to be one of the most uh, adventurous things that a person can do, and that is go to the bottom of the ocean in, the, uh, in Alvin, which... Um, it's to me that's almost the same as being an astronaut. In fact, some ways it's even more mysterious and more impressive than being an astronaut. Tell me a little bit about what that was like. It it is a, a fantastic experience to go into the deep ocean and to get all the way to the ocean floor in a submersible. In fact, it's often referred to as inner space mm -hmm. instead of going into outer space. It's it is uh, something that I will. We'll never forget, and I and I hope to do it again uh, someday. But my my work at Esri right now is uh, more uh, administrative and project based, uh, not not field work. I'm not really doing field work right. anymore. We're supporting those who are in the field, which is fantastic. And speaking of supporting those who are in the field, we had the wonderful, we have the wonderful opportunity to support Kathy Sullivan uh, in. Uh, making maps, story maps, especially as she has recently returned from Challenger Deep. Uh, not enough people know about this. Uh, this happened uh, in uh, June. She was on an expedition with uh, Victor Vescovo and his colleagues 
uh, Victor Vescovo is a fantastic entrepreneur and adventurer. And for those who don't know Kathy Sullivan, Kathy Sullivan was the first American woman to walk in space. And she was also chief scientist of NOAA. And then she moved into being the administrator of NOAA. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's a very good friend of ours at Esri. So she uh, became in June the first uh, woman to dive to the deepest part of our planet uh, in Victor Vescovo's uh, submersible. So she now considers herself to, to be the most vertical girl in the universe <laughs> because she is the first American woman to walk in space on yeah. the space shuttle. And now she has descended to the ocean floor. And so we are working with her to uh, compile with her team, the maps or, or the, the data, the videography uh, that they compiled on that, that mission, what, what she saw, uh, even how the sub was launched, the whole story of that. Uh, so uh, there, there are lots of fantastic stories. That's to really exciting. Her. And the work that she's done and her accomplishments are, as you said, very impressive. Um, no one has a vertical leap like she does. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned story maps, which is a powerful tool that NatureServe uses quite often for talking about the work that we do. Um, because really, Esri is critical to the work that NatureServe does. I mean, we're, we're out there collecting spatially explicit data on threatened and endangered species, like the Houston toad on the wall behind me, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> to help conserve these species and protect them from extinction. And it's really the, the software that Esri provides that makes this possible. And we had a big collaboration with you recently in the map of biodiversity importance that we did recently. And um, I know that, um, you know, obviously it's super important for us, but I wanted to hear a little bit about how, um, how you all feel at Esri about the map of biodiversity importance. And I know that uh, Jack is very uh, interested in it as well. Yes, uh, this is one of our favorite, absolutely favorite projects. Uh, and we love, always love working uh, with you at NatureServe and also with the Nature Conservancy. So this was a, uh, one of the uh, projects that we considered to be uh, top priority. Jack was really, really excited about it. And one of the things that we love about it is the idea that what is resulting from this map will hopefully be uh, what the NatureServe calls action maps that tell us not only where things are, um, and they're all any number of beautiful species uh, distribution maps, species abundance maps, but the map of biodiversity importance is going to tell us what we should invest in, where we should build and protect, uh, what to do in the face of uh, these trade-offs between say grasslands and mineral exploration or where to build infrastructure and wildlife so we can weigh our actions against these costs and feasibilities uh, so that we can predict and create future scenarios. And uh, for us at Esri, working with NatureServe and the TNC on these uh, layers of data, in fact, the unprecedented 30 meter rasters of geology and soils, climate variables, land cover, uh, the derivatives that we get from, from elevation like slope and aspect, uh, the hydrology layers, uh, in addition to, I think over well over 2,700 at-risk species occurrences. 
for us, it was a real boon to be able to, to work with that kind of data and put it into uh, a model infrastructure uh, that, that uses our technology, of course, but also Microsoft's technology for the artificial intelligence, uh, Python scripting, Microsoft R, uh, the machine learning and deep learning, and then to have that uh, pop out the way that it did in uh, the, the beautiful maps and the story map or the series of story maps uh, that, that your team has created and we're working with, with Healy and, and Reagan, it was, it was terrific. And of course the project wouldn't have been possible without the data from your, your NatureServe network. So that was another thing that we really love. We love to see uh, broad distribution, broad collaboration, especially through these types of networks. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that's so cool is you talked about these, the results popping off of these maps, because we've talked a lot about some very technical things, Python and R scripts and things. But the end result is, as you said, and we'll put links to this in the description for the podcast, um, the story maps and the maps of where critical areas are for uh, conserving of biodiversity. And one of the really interesting results was that 90% of the people who live in the lower 48 states live within 30 miles of an area of high concentration of endangered species. That means that yeah. endangered species are in all of our neighborhoods. And you don't really think about that when you're walking around and you see birds or deer or something going by, that there are all of these endangered species from insects to other invertebrates to amphibians and reptiles and birds and things. And so those maps are incredibly powerful, as you said, and um, really need to be need to be seen to be <laughs> appreciated, which is hard to do uh, in a podcast. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we really, we couldn't have done it without the support from the scientists at Esri and from the, the technologists at Microsoft and the support of Jack and, and GNC um, to make these maps that are going to really guide conservation efforts and land use decisions across the United States. So we're super excited about that. And of course, as you noted, having um, access to all of this data was the key. And that's one of the things that NatureServe brought that was unique. So Esri brings software, Microsoft brings artificial intelligence and cloud computing. And NatureServe was able to bring wall-to-wall -wall data or coast-to-coast -coast data on the, the most threatened and endangered species in the United States at in a spatially explicit way with incredible detail and incredible uh, accuracy so that the models of where species may or may not be able to live can be as accurate as possible. Um, and you indicated earlier something that we're really excited about and that is taking these models and extending them into the future and overlaying not just the layers you mentioned but like climate change layers to look at where, how the climate change is gonna affect the ranges of species or the potential ranges for species. Yes, and uh, what I, and the, the tidbit that you shared about how uh, for most of us, uh, there is a species at risk within 30 miles uh, or of where we live. Mm -hmm. Boy, there's so many communities that have uh, local conservancies, uh, or there, there might be a natural heritage program. There certainly is a natural heritage program for each of our states, I believe, but it made me think so much about where I live here in Redlands, where we have a Redlands Conservancy group that uh, goes out and does trail maintenance. Uh, they, are, they want to map 
species at risk and to set up uh, areas to protect them. And for me, it just brought full circle. I'm so steeped in the technology and the mapping and the big picture, but as a citizen, as someone who cares about where I live, the map of biodiversity importance is helping me to make that connection to action and getting more involved with uh, my local Redlands Conservancy. Even this morning, I was on a mountain bike uh, ride and there was a little sparrow that was flying ahead of me on the trail. And he was so cute because he or she uh, just flew in a straight line right down the trail. It wouldn't go off to the right or to the left. It was like this little sparrow was leading me down the bike path. And I thought, I wonder if he's at risk. Yeah. I haven't seen him before, uh, and his behavior is very cute, <laughs> very unusual, and I just wonder about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the inspiring people to action is really one of the most important things that we can do when we're trying to conserve biodiversity because people have those kinds of experiences, and if you have a little bit of a context around it, it can be a more powerful experience to think about uh, what you're seeing in nature around you. Um, you also mentioned when you were talking about these data layers, uh, one of the things that's particularly interesting about them is that they're being made available as open data for other people to use, the, the predictor layers on Habitat. And I'm a little interested in um, Esri's position on open data and uh, you know, the idea that data wants to be free um, mm -hmm. and how you're thinking about that in terms of like, yes, data wants to be free and we make things available and people discover all sorts of interesting things, but people also have to pay for the acquisition, you know, for, to create the data mm -hmm. and to make the data available and sort of thinking about that balance is uh, something that we are working with a lot at NatureServe. Yes, well, we have uh, an open uh, data initiative. Uh, in fact, it's wonderful because uh, the map of biodiversity importance is now uh, built into our ArcGIS hub product, which actually a uh, hub originated from our ArcGIS for open data, coming from our open data initiative with the idea of, especially for data sets that have been collected with taxpayer dollars mm -hmm. uh, for federal agencies, and uh, also state and local government agencies to a lesser extent, that is already the people's data. Uh, and that, that data should be freely available. It should not only be freely available, but it should be in formats that are easy for people to access and to understand. It's one thing to have all of these wonderful data sets, but if people still don't understand what the data mean, and a lot of that is associated we use the metadata, the descriptive information about the data, but those are usually dry text records or they're in some other format. But we want the data to come alive in a map form so that people can actually see, see the context. And so that's why uh, the Map of Biodiversity Importance uh, Hub, uh, we think is so very helpful there. It's also those data layers are tied into our living atlas of the world. This is essentially a global GIS that's being created before our eyes, not by Esri, we provide the infrastructure, but it's by NatureServe and the Nature Conservancy and Conservation International and then the National Geographic and local conservancies like our Redlands Conservancy, Conservancy uh, these are the organizations and people who are pouring in their open data 
uh, into, into that global GIS. Now there are data sets that are more, more premium and we do have to be cognizant of some uh, access issues for some data sets. For instance, uh, indigenous groups uh, sometimes are not as readily able to, to share their data because of, of uh, cultural issues or we don't have all data sets uh, freely open for endangered species because we don't want people going to those areas and targeting those, those species uh, for destruction. But the, we are very much at ESRI into the open data, open science movement, even open source, mm. uh, because not only is it good science uh, and good stewardship, uh, it turns out that it's it's good business as well. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, that's great to hear because we're we're working a lot on um, making sure that people have access to our data so that they can make the best decisions for conservation of biodiversity. Um, and you need you need the data and you need the information to to make those decisions. Um, so I wanted to go back for a second because I I made a promise to you when we set up this interview uh, to talk about something very specific. And earlier we were talking about you going to the bottom of the ocean. And uh, so you have your own Lego minifig, Deep Sea Dawn. <laughs> and I was thinking I should really like make it so that everybody I interview has their own minifig, which would mean that you would be in, in league with like Chris Hemsworth or Thor or Scarlett Johansson, the Black Widow. <laughs> and then you, Dawn Wright, right? So you would be one of the, one of the Avengers um, in this, in this world of mine that I'm constructing. Um, but I want to, I do want to talk a little bit about Lego and I see for those of you who are watching this, there's a, a lot of Lego behind you. Um, and I know it has a, a big role on a lot of young people in terms of getting interested in sort of engineering kinds of topics. Um, but I, I'm curious about your interest in Lego and, and what it means to you in, in your life. Oh, yes. Well, do we have another half hour? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, I would like to acknowledge Joseph Kenyon, uh, who is a conservationist who's in, our, uh, who's in the Society for Conservation GIS. Joseph and I have not yet met, uh, but he is a GIS specialist uh, up in uh, Sonoma County, California. And uh, we also follow each other on Twitter. And Joseph was the one who put, who created the Deep Sea Dawn minifig. <laughs> uh, and, and he did a, a beautiful job of it. And it's, I, I value that more than my PhD hanging on my wall. <laughs> and he also sent to me uh, the pieces to build my own Lego Marine GIS lab to go along with my, with my minifig. <laughs> so I want to uh, publicly acknowledge him for, for his creativity and that is the wonderful thing about Lego because you can go so many different ways. You can uh, create on your own, which is so important for, I think for us as adults to keep that spirit of creativity. We have it as children. Many of us lose it. And even for me, when I build Lego, I, I, I get these kits that have the instructions and I follow the instructions to the letter <laughs> or... To you the figure, to, because there are no words in those instructions, right? <laughs> and and I very rarely uh, deviate from those instructions, especially 
as you you and I can attest to the the Lego Bugatti Chiron that the, the sports car that both of us have built. If you deviate one one piece, your your wheels are not going to turn, or your engine parts aren't going to oh, aren't yeah, going to we, work. <laughs> we experienced a little trouble with our build, but we recovered. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time. Uh, there are people who can deviate from those instructions and create and and make different variations on on that theme, which to me is what science is, is about as well. That the experimentation, uh, the creativity, uh, the the courage to try something new, and so I think uh, that is for me. It's a way to relax too. Yeah. I can relax without without uh, fear of retribution. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making up an analogy in my head between uh, Lego and open data where the Lego company creates a kit and you follow the instructions and you do what was intended. But then if you're a creative person, you can pull that apart and make something completely different. And we've seen that with open data where people, NASA or someone or NOAA will put data out there in an open format and all of a sudden, we're using radar data that was intended to track rainfall to track bird migration. And that was not at all what was intended and nobody um, who created the, the satellites or the sensors thought of that. And I think it's a really, um, this creativity and maintaining creativity and imagination as we get older, especially if you're in the sciences is really critical. That is, that is so true, that is such a good ana analogy. And, you know, even uh, Andrew Turner, who I greatly admire, he's the director uh, of our Washington, D.C. Research and Development Center, and he is the architect of ArcGIS Open Data and our open data uh, movement. Uh, he, he is uh, big in the open source world as well, but when he talks about open data or even about open source, he will use Lego blocks as an analogy. He will put pictures of Lego uh, on his blog post. And the idea there is that you are laying a foundation and then someone else is building on it. Mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. they know what how to build upon it because they have access to the initial Lego that you lay down and then you just go from there. Yeah, that's excellent. I love it. Um, that gives me uh, inspiration for the next Lego kit that I'm going to build. <laughs> what is the next Lego <laughs> kit that you're going to build? <laughs> the Lamborghini arrived at my apartment. Ooh, we're going to do a Lamborghini. I don't have the courage to do that. I'm, I'm ramping down a bit and I'm just, uh, I did a, a Lego Technic uh, catamaran uh, sailboat. Nice. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and appropriate with your background in marine science. So. Um, well, I think we've um, probably taken up the, the time that we wanted to uh, steal from your very busy schedule. And I uh, want to thank you for your, uh, for your work for, with Esri and your work um, to help save, save our planet. And uh, thank you for your time today. And I guess I should give you the option to um, see if there's any questions that you need to ask of me or of NatureServe before we sign off. Oh, oh, thank you so much, Sean. This has been absolutely delightful spending this time with you. I, I wish it could be more. And thank you so very much for all that you do uh, per personally and professionally to to help save our planet and uh, all of your colleagues at, at NatureServe. And we are very much looking forward to your chief scientist, Healy Hamilton, giving the keynote address at our uh, ESRI User Conference Science Symposium next summer. 
so uh, the, the fun and the connections and the collaboration will continue with between Esri and NatureServe. Yes, they will. We're very excited about that as well. Um, and hopefully by then we'll be um, able to gather in person. Um, but if not, we'll yes. do it more virtually and um, it, will be, uh, it will be excellent regardless. So um, well, Dawn, thank you, for, thank you for everything that you do. And thank you again for your time. And uh, I will send you some pictures of uh, the Lamborghini when I'm done. Oh, great. Please do. You, you, you will inspire me. <laughs> excellent. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you.